in the books. Um, I don't know. I give that hour like a a B, a B, solid B. It's all right. We got to do better from here. I'll start the eight o'clock hour by telling you again that Hot Take Friday is a segment that I do when I'm hosting on Fridays, filling in whatever. And so here I am on a Friday filling in for JP. It is unique to just me as a host at the station. The whole concept is we have a bed, we play it, you call in, you give us your hottest takes. It can be sports takes. It can be uh it can be sports takes, it can be movies, it can be music. It can be anything. The only thing we don't really want to get into on this show is government conspiracy theories. We're, we're good on that. We don't need your politics just polluting the airwaves of 92 through the Fed. So save that. for That's that's good for your local NPR station, maybe. We don't need that here at 92 through the Fed. We're good. We'll do that at 10 o'clock. Tentatively 10 o'clock. It's going to kind of depend on the Guardians game because we got to save time to react. we also got to have time to chat with uh, our good friend Al Pulowski as well once the post game ends. So should be a fun show. We also have John Doss coming up this hour. He'll join us at 840. We're going to ask John about the Cavs and Imani Bates, of course, but I also want to get into some Browns with him and – I've been thinking about this because I, I understand there are some high expectations for the Browns this year, rightfully so. It's playoffs or bust. We had the conversation last night as Albert Breer last week, or no, this week, What last week, what am I saying? Albert Breer dropped the nugget that he thought if Kevin Stefanski was 9-8, and eight, he's probably safe, right? I added the context that is that a nine and eight with the playoffs or nine and eight missing the playoffs? Because I think if he misses the playoffs, I think he's gone no matter what. He'll be hovering around five hundred as a coach. You're expected to make immense progress with Deshaun Watson this year. Well, that's a heck of a play by Tyler Freeman. Sorry, caught my attention on the TVs there. Um, where was I? So the the, the Browns. Similar to the conversation we're having with the Cavs, like they're in win-now mode. They, they they have to make the playoffs. They have to have success. We know this, right? But as part of having sort of tempered expectations for the season and trying not to get too far ahead of myself and waiting for them to kind of prove it to me, I don't need, even with Deshaun Watson and the expectations that he's going to bounce back to the guy that he was pre-COVID and all the legal stuff that played out. I don't need the Browns to be the Chiefs or the Bills or the Bengals. Like, I I, I don't care about the division winners. I think where the Browns are, what's going to make or break the Browns season and whether or not they get into the, the, the play, the tournament or not come January isn't going to be if they steamroll the division and win it for the first time. I don't even remember what the, the last time they won the division was. I'll have to look that up. 
I think it was like the 80s. Maybe no, maybe the 90s. Um, but I don't need them to be that this year. I don't. I am not holding them to some standard where I'm like, you gotta, you gotta give me a division championship. You gotta be better than the Bengals. I'm not looking at that. No. If the Bengals are going to be the same old Bengals, 89, by the way, the last time the Browns won the division. There you go. I was close. I knew, I said the 80s. Um, if, if they're going to be, that's not where my head's at with this season. Despite the talent get that they have and that we have, we all believe that this group should be at that level and can be at that level if they perform up to snuff. I'm not at a point where I'm sitting here saying they got to win the division. Just Again, it's, it's just the playoffs. And so as I look around the AFC, what's going to make or break their season isn't going to be whether or not they come out on top in the AFC North and they get home field advantage, all these different things. It's going to be how they stack up with this group of teams. I want to talk about where we think the Browns are in comparison to this next tier of teams below the division winners. So, again, Bills were division winners last year. They're they're in Vegas. They are the favorites to win that division again, although it's closer this year with what the Jets did this offseason and the Dolphins obviously getting two back and all these different things. But Bills, let's just say Bills are are our division winner because they're a Super Bowl contending team by based on Vegas odds. The Bengals again favorites in the in the North. Fine. Maybe the Browns get lucky and do clip them this year because they've tend to own their number. And if you get a couple wins against them, that'd be that go a long way. Uh, Chiefs, we know super defending Super Bowl champs. For the South, it's the Jaguars, and I think that's probably right. But I'm also not like deathly afraid of the South. The teams that I listed there, the Bills, the Bengals, and the Chiefs, they are the creme de la creme in the AFC. Those are the the big dogs that you're looking up at and chasing if you're the Browns or other teams that have playoff and Super Bowl aspirations. Those those are the teams we've seen the last couple of years in the mix for Super Bowls out of the AFC, right? I'm looking at the next tier, though. And maybe you put the Jaguars in that next tier because if the Jaguars and you just can't trust them, so maybe they end up being more of a wild card team as well. But these are the teams that I want to know where the Browns stack up. We'll say the Chargers, the Jets, the Dolphins, and then in your own division, the Ravens and the Steelers. Again, if you want to look at the South and kind of say, I think the Jags are probably the best team, but maybe the Titans surprise some people, good coach, whatever, fine. I I, I think the Browns are better than the Titans. I'd put them ahead of them. But as I look at that list of teams, those are the teams that I'm measuring the Browns against this year because likely – Those are the teams that are going to decide if the Browns are outside looking in or actually playing in the big dance. If I do the math on this, I think I would put the Browns ahead of... hmm. I don't want to put them... I, I want to put them ahead of the Chargers because the Chargers always find a way to lose games, but they also lost to the Chargers last year. Granted, it was a Jacoby Brzezicki. I have a lot. I, maybe I have more faith in the Chargers than others. I think the Chargers continue getting better this year. They did make the playoffs last year. I'll say the Browns are just below the Chargers. Uh, the Jets. 
I understand the Aaron Rodgers hype. I I don't know if I'm buying the Jets, man. I just it feels very Brett Farvey when he went to New York. Didn't end up meaning anything. The Jets weren't good with him. Uh, they they took a shot, fine. And and listen, Aaron Rodgers probably still has more in the tank now than Brett Favre did back then. Even though I guess technically I guess Brett Favre did have something left because he went to Minnesota and almost got to the Super Bowl. So fine, maybe the comp is wholly fair. I just I don't know something about that situation just feels like it's it's too good to be true. Like, is it really going to be as easy for them as we bring in Aaron Rodgers and it all works? With a younger team, I'm not sold. I know he's recruiting all his boys to go there. He's got the receivers. Garrett Wilson's phenomenal. I love Garrett Wilson. I just don't know if I'm buying that they're just going to be this world-beating team all of a sudden. Dolphins, I got to give Tua his respect. He played well last year, and he was in the MVP conversation up until he got hurt. I, I still don't buy that Tua is this elite-level quarterback. The thing, the funny thing with Tua is that you have – it's it's a spectrum, and there's only really two sides of it. There's no middle on the spectrum. It's very much like our political environment in 2023. There's no middle ground anymore in politics. You're either right or you're left, and that's that's final. It's the same thing with with, with Tua. You can't be in the middle and be like, well, I think he's a fine quarterback who now has a coach that is tapping into his skill set and utilizing what he does best, and that's why he had so much success last year. It either has to be that you think he broke out and Mike McDaniel's a genius who sprung the oil out of that well, and now it's just this fruitful uh, business for them, or you think that Tua just is garbage and last year was a fluke. I don't think last year was a fluke. I think Mike McDaniel is smart, and I think that he found a way to utilize his strengths to cater to the offensive game plan and and, and make that thing a pretty prof- a prolific offense, especially with the speed that they have on the outside with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. I... As much as I respect Mike McDaniel and I'm not out on Tua completely, I still think I like the Browns more than the Dolphins. I just think from a talent standpoint, the Browns are better. I know they got Tyree Kill. I know they got Jalen Waddle, like I just said. There's rumors that maybe they're going to get Dalvin Cook as well. But, I mean, like defensively, I think I like the Browns' defense better under Jim Schwartz. Maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much. But I, I think I put him ahead of the Dolphins. I'm not fully buying the Jets. That leaves us with the Ravens and the Steelers. This is so difficult because every year I want to put them ahead of the Steelers and just say, that's it. Steelers, it's not the, it's not their time. But I feel like the Steelers have done everything this offseason to address needs around Kenny Pickett, both defensively and offensively, to just give him this very solid team. And... Now they can kind of start figuring out what he's going to be and if he's really going to be a franchise quarterback for them. Um, I I want to put him ahead of the Steelers, man, I do. But every time I try to do it, they lose a the game they should win against Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh continues to prove. Pittsburgh continues to finish ahead of them in the division. I am so stuck in this. you got to prove it to me mode. I... I 
You know what? Screw it. I, I'll put him ahead of the Steelers. I think, the I, I, again, because of the talent reasons, I'll put him below the Ravens, though. No, you know what? Eh. You know what? We'll think about it during the break because I'm curious if this Todd Munkin offense with Lamar Jackson is all it's going to be cracked out to be. Do you have the Browns ahead of the Steelers and the Ravens in the division? And where do they stack up against these other teams that will probably be in the wild card picture alongside with them, assuming the Bengals are your division winner? 216-474-0092. We want your calls on it. We continue talking Browns on the other side. John Doss joins us at 840. Spencer German in for JP tonight on The Fan. John Doss sent to join us at 8.40. After that, we do the fan focus at 9. As we roll into the 9 o'clock hour, it should pave the way for hot take Friday at 10 o'clock. But subject to change based on the Guardians game, not great at the moment. They trail 4 nothing. Heron has relieved Shane Bieber. You know what? Speaking of Shane Bieber, we'll maybe talk about this after the game. We sure that he has the value that we all think he does coming up to the deadline? I I mean, I think it's an interesting thing to ask because I understand where he's viewed as the ace of this staff, and for good reason. I mean, he's been that for the last several years now. And he's a great pitcher when he's on. But I uh, I don't know, man. There's there's some interesting questions I have about whether or not the as, – as we talk about Shane Bieber getting traded. And we have a certain set idea of what his value is. The team probably has a certain set idea of what his value is. But – do other teams see him as that same value? Because you know the Guardians don't trade these types of players without getting like a massive haul in return. That's the way they do business. Way Shane Bieber's looked this year, had some really good games and then some real just dud games. People really think they're trading for an ace. Now maybe there's a team out there that's like, we're just going to try to maximize a window of opportunity here and go all in. Maybe the Padres have been doing that the last couple of years. Maybe they would go out and add another frontline starter to their rotation to try to cement their championship hopes. Maybe the Dodgers, the Dodgers are always in every big name trade conversation and they need pitching in the worst way right now. So listen, there's some options, but I just, I don't know, man, I got questions. I got questions about whether or not he's going to really uh, net the the value that we probably have for Shane Bieber, but in MOB circles, it may not be that. We'll talk about that a little bit more later after the game. I I also think who was it last week that uh, JP. Had on. Um, 
was the night I was in. It was Thursday night last week. Dan Zimborski, I believe it was, of Fangraphs. And he brought up a point that he doesn't know if Shane Bieber is even considered an ace anymore. Like, he's more of like a, the strikeouts are down, the spin rate's down, as we know. He's getting a lot more ground balls, getting guys out that way, which is fine. But are you giving up uh, the massive haul that the Guardians want to get that guy? And that's where it's an interesting dilemma right now for the Guardians of whether or not they should trade him. Because they won't do it unless they know they're getting a haul until they absolutely have to, until they're up against it. Like, they'll trade him eventually because they'll have to, because they're not going to pay him. But they'll hold out for a little bit longer if uh, teams are willing to pay up. Bad start tonight for Shane Beaver. Again, we'll talk about it more, but back to the Browns here, at least for the moment, because I'm trying to decide where I think the Browns stack up amidst these teams. I'm leaving the suspected division winners out of this, at least the suspected division winners sitting here on June 23rd, because we know a lot can happen between now and the regular season. You got uh, training camp, you got injuries. July, as I always say, July is the month where you live in your fears as a fan. You're just praying every night that your team doesn't end up in the headlines or a player in your team doesn't end up in the headlines because they got caught up in some dicey, shady situation that they're getting arrested for. This is that time, this is that time of year. This is the time of year where your parents always used to say, or maybe your parents still do say, and I'm sure as a dad now I'll be saying to my kids, my son and my maybe you know down the line more kid children that will have uh, nothing good happens after two o'clock right? Is it two o'clock or is it midnight? I think my mom always used to say two a.m. And uh, that's kind of what we're in the NFL season. Nothing good in the NFL happens after veteran minicamps close because. Then you enter this time of year where they're kind of left to their own devices. They're taking trips. They're on vacation. They're away from the facility. They don't have the structure. And, yeah, you start to hear about some of these troubling situations that they find themselves in. And then suspension. And then being released or traded or the bad PR that comes with it all. That's the time of year we're in. So, listen, I understand a lot can change. Between now and the regular season. But aside from the suspected division winners, which I have sort of prognosticated here as the Bills, the Bengals, the Chiefs, and potentially the Jags, how do the Browns stack up with their contemporaries below them? The Chargers are are, are with them in that next tier of playoff hopeful teams. The Chargers, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Steelers. And then obviously you throw the Browns into that mix. You got seven spots in the AFC. Four of them are reserved for the division winners I listed off. And so that leaves three spots for these six teams. The Browns, the Chargers, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Steelers. With that group, are the Browns one of the three that gets into the playoffs based on the construction of those teams, the construction of the Browns sitting here today, 216-474-0092. How do the Browns measure up against that group? I said I think the Chargers I put ahead of them. I have a lot of blind faith in the Chargers. All the blind faith I used to have in the Browns 
the last couple of years. I've now put that in the Chargers. I don't know why they made the playoffs last year. I guess maybe some of it's my John Carroll bias. I want to see Brandon Staley do well out there in, in, in L.A. And I like Justin Herbert a lot, so I hope they just kind of continue to get better and ascend. So I think I had the Chargers ahead of them. I said I'm skeptical that it's all just happy-go-lucky uh, rainbows and butterflies with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. It's a young team. I see maybe some regression in their future, so I'm not sold on them. I maybe am reconsidering the Dolphins because of Mike McDaniel. Like after last year, I'm 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 not convinced that Kevin Stefanski is a better coach than Mike McDaniel. So heck, I'll, I'll say the Dolphins are there, and then you got the Brown, and then you got the Ravens and the Steelers. Can the Browns stop those two teams? Every time I, I said it, every time I want to put the Steelers ahead of them, they somehow end up finishing better in the division. I I, I can't do it with the Steelers. I I I can't. The Browns on paper should be a better team. You know what? I think they are better than the Steelers. I got to try not to live in my fears here for during this exercise. So I'll say that I think they're better than the Steelers. But it all comes down to the Ravens or the Browns. Who do I trust more? To be honest, I trust the Ravens. But what's interesting with Baltimore this year, everyone is ranting and raving, right, about Todd Munkin coming in and, taking over the offense, and they're going to look to pass more, and you signed Odell Beckham Jr., and you drafted Zay Flowers, and you got Rashad Bateman, and J.K. Dobbins is now going to be over a year since the since coming back from the ACL injury, and he'll have he'll, he's likely to perform better. All these things are working in their favor, but offense, new offensive coordinator, I have always been of the belief that Lamar, like, like I'm somebody who puts Lamar Jackson in the top ten quarterbacks in the league. I do. I know people feel differently. There's sort of a mixed reviews on him. They don't think he's a very good passer. I think he's a better passer than what he is accused of being, or how people have sort of painted him. And I do think that, in, in some ways, the Greg Roman offense held him back. I think that the fact that Tom Munkin's here going to open things up is probably beneficial for him. But are we sure that it's just going to all go smoothly when, listen, Lamar? we know Lamar Jackson's best skill set, and it is his legs and his running ability. I'm not saying they're getting rid of all that entirely, but is it the smartest thing to have him throwing the ball upwards of 40 to 50 times? I, I don't think that's the formula for the Ravens when you have that running quarterback who, yeah, you're trying to prolong him. You gave him the contract extension that he finally signed. But I just, I have some questions. If there's a team that I think takes a step back in this division, I could honestly see it be in Baltimore for whatever reason. But the Steelers are right there as well, although the Steelers, we've been saying, are going to take a step back forever, it seems, and they're still right in the mix. I, the thing with the Steelers that's different is like they were around five, again you can't finish 500 I get it but they were around 500 anyway last year 
So it like I I just can't count them out to finish around nine and eight, eight and nine again next year. They finished nine and eight a year ago because it just seems like Mike Tomlin just doesn't put up. He, he doesn't let his team end up with a losing season. It is just not in his blood to let his team have a losing season. It's 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 just who he is at this point. So regression from the Steelers basically looks like you're under you're under that mark. You do finish with a below 500 record, and you are just you're questioning whether or not Mike Tomlin's the guy moving forward after next season. I don't think that we're going to get that from Pittsburgh. I don't. So if I'm looking at the division and saying who takes the step back, I honestly think the the Ravens are maybe that team. They finished ten and seven last year, which is pretty good. Despite and obviously they dealt with some Lamar injuries, but how do we know those are going to flare back up? I think it's I mean it's, it'd be easy to pick the Bengals too because the Bengals obviously are the team that have kind of owned this division the last two years, and so yeah, it's it's easy to sit there and just be like, oh, clearly the Bengals. It'll uh, they'll they'll sort of come back down to earth a little bit this year, but I I don't see that because. Even last year when it seemed like that was happening and they got off to that rough start, what were they like? One in five, were they one in four to start the year, I think, last year? And then they still ended up with a 12 and four. No, there's no way they were, they were one in four. I just remember they got off to a terrible start. And it was like, Everyone, everyone does those numbers and like teams that have started with this record have only made the playoffs X amount of times. So they started 0 and 2, and then they were 2 and 2, and then they were then then they were 2 and 3 through the first five games. So, but either way, like you thought they were, you thought last year was the year after they got to that slow start that oh well Bengals, it was nice with the, the you had a nice little Super Bowl run, but that's all over now. And then they they found a way out of it. To me, the Bengals are maybe could regress, but I I have them winning the division in this exercise that we're doing. So as I sum it up, I think I have the Chargers. I give a slight edge to the Dolphins because of my McDaniel, and he kind of owned Kevin Stefanski last year. Uh, the I think I'd have the Browns next. I don't trust the Jets. I don't trust the Steelers. It's almost like 3A and 3B with the Ravens and the Browns for me. The Ravens have seemed to always have the Browns number since Lamar's been there. So that's a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, I, I I think they're interchangeable, but they're they're right there in this as I sort of roll through this and estimate where they stack up against these other teams that I think I'm going to be measuring them by this season. Because I think the other teams that we listed off the Bengals, Brown, or the Bengals, Bills, and, and Chiefs, for example, they're division winners. They don't need to be that. I just need them to get one of the final three spots left out of that group of seven teams, six teams rather, that we rattled off. They're right there, in my estimation. Let's take a break. When we get back, we'll talk some Browns with John Doss. We'll also talk about Imani Bates and the Cavaliers, where they go from here. He joins us next from News Channel 5. Coming up on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin, Spencer German with you until midnight here on The Fan.
Darren Ryder and Andy Baskin will be busy until the Browns head to West Virginia, making sense of the NFL world. Get two new episodes of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland every week at 92throughthefan.com. And the Odyssey app brought to you locally by Smiley One Heating and Cooling and Bryant doing whatever it takes. With that out of the way, we want to go out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline very promptly here to welcome in our first guest of the night. He is, of course, the sports director at News Channel 5, WEWS, a good friend of the show, John Doss, joining us on the program. What's going on, John? Mercifully, the rain is falling and hopefully cancels the rest of this awful baseball game. Yeah, I saw uh, like on this. It's one of those rains you can distinctly see how heavy it's falling on the TV. Like it is brutal uh, over there at Progressive. End the game. Just ended. Yeah, I mean it's beyond the point they can call it, and it's definitely gotten ugly. So I'm with you. uh, Did you see Adamus is batting again right now? Did you see where his home run landed? Uh, I didn't. It almost rolled all the way to the Halley building where we are doing this show. Like, it was it was literally oh, wow. on the streets of Cleveland. My old parking garage. Uh, that's right. Your old stopping grounds. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> John Doss joining us on the hotline. I want to start, John, uh, with a Cavs-related conversation just because of, obviously, what transpired last night. Um, it's been an interesting day just with the commentary on Imani Bates um, some of the trouble that he brings, the baggage that he brings with him. I, it's, it's, it's hard because I understand why people want to talk about him. It's the only tangible Cavs news that we have at the moment, but it's also a second round pick. You're not expecting that he's going to become a frontline starter for you necessarily. I know there's names of guys that have Draymond Green, Nikola Jokic, who's uh, one of the best players, if not the best player in the NBA at the moment anyway. Um, so it can happen. But I don't think that that's the expectation for a guy like Bates right now. My question for you, though, can the Cavs, like, is this uh, something that they can afford to do right now is, like, just deal in in, in projects? And I understand that's where they were picking, so they, they weren't going to not use it. But there was some talk that maybe they would have got back up into the first round and got in a player who maybe could have done a little bit more for you or offered you a little bit more, and they didn't. So, like, how much can – I just don't know if the Cavs have time to bring in guys that are going to be projects and take time to sort of develop here? Well, for that reason, you're right. That, and they shouldn't have traded up into the first round either. This is not a yeah. team that um, is searching for young talent to develop. This team is as far away from the NBA draft being impactful um, as really any team. They're in a win-now mode. They have to figure out exactly the right Tetris move that they need to make with this roster because clearly – it was good enough for the regular season and not good enough for the postseason. They have to figure out exactly what move to make that's going to get them over the hump, but no draft pick is going to do that. And you are right. We are all so bored right now. <laughs> we are searching for something to talk about, myself included, and uh, Imani Bates is a great talking point. But you're right. Nobody is expected at what, the 59th overall pick to ever contribute to an NBA team, the fact that we are giving this as much energy as we are is probably pretty ridiculous given the percentages of Bates becoming uh, an impactful player in the NBA. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Um, and it's it's for that reason, it's been kind of an, an odd conversation to have because you're not normally spending this much time talking about a second round pick. I mean, I remember when Dylan Windler was drafted, and we barely talked about him because we had first round picks to talk about that night. So, um, yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's almost as if we knew Dylan Windler would play all the five games for this organization <laughs> in three years. I will say with Bates, though, he's interesting. Yeah, you know, he's he's interesting. We most of us that have that follow sports heard about the guy four or five years ago. We kind of followed his transition to Memphis, and that didn't go well. And everybody was intrigued when he popped up at Eastern Michigan. And then, of course, he had the, you know, the gun charge. And like, he's an interesting guy. And that's why I said today at 6 o'clock, I said, if nothing else, Imani Bates was the most intriguing player on the board in round two. And, yeah. uh, well, here in the month of June, that's enough for us. Yeah, and I guess really I can't blame the cast for trying to go get a guy that had that has that count level of ta- of uh, potential. Like, there was, the, there was the talk about him coming out of high school, who he would sort of become and what he could be. So I, I like the fact that if you're going to take a guy in the second round and, and hope he turns into something, you got a guy who maybe has a ceiling that could be reached at some point. It's just going to take some time. And, again, it's going to take some temperament from the team as well. Talking with John Doss here on The Fan, uh, News Channel 5 sports director, of course. It shows you, Spencer, it shows you just how hard it is to really make it. Right? Yeah. You can be – ordained as the chosen one at 15. There are so many things that have to go right. A lot of them are within your control. Some of them are not. For you to really pan out and become that guy, I think that, and for that reason, we don't give, I think even to this day, LeBron James, the credit for that, Mm. for that aspect of being the chosen one at 16 and still managing to get it right. It is so hard to do. We even look at a guy locally, Chris Livingston, Right, he was the last pick in the draft last night yeah. in Milwaukee. Chris was a top five, top ten um, uh, guy in his class when he was at Bookville and Akron. He went to Oak Hill, he went to Kentucky, and here's a guy with probably all the upside in the world, and he goes 58 overall. Right, so even though you're a high projected high school pick, so many things have to go right for you to truly pan out. Well, let's look ahead to what's next now for the Cavs because they didn't do anything last night other than stay pat and make their pick. Uh, Kobe Altman said no wholesale changes this off seasons, but season. But as we know, GMs lie all the time. The Cavs don't have a ton of cards to play in terms of adjusting the roster. So, what are you? What do you envision the Cavs do this year? Is there a Jarrett Allen trade in their future, or is it just going to be sort of use the mid level exception, get some ans- make some ancillary moves that address needs, and and run it back with most of the same group? It's funny you say that because and Mike Dunleavy's. Uh, introductory press conference as the new general manager with the Warriors. What did he say? He said he loved Jordan Poole. Yeah, that's right. Jordan Poole is a part of our future. 14 hours later. <laughs> that's how the NBA well, works. And, I, I, I will a, say, John, that felt like they, like that felt like it was untenable. Like the, the, with all the stuff oh, that we yeah. got out of that locker room and that nobody really liked Jordan Poole. We, we've talked about this off the air before. Um, like, I feel like him saying that there's no way that re- that reporters are buying that because they they all could read the tea leaves on how that guy just did not fit. Yeah, nobody was happy there. This seems like one of those amicable breakups, which are a fairy tale most of the time. But truly, I can't imagine Jordan Poole wanted to be in the organization, and I can't imagine any more of the organization wanting Jordan Poole. But I have this feeling that Kobe Altman is telling the truth. I have this mm. feeling that they're going into next year with the same team that we saw last year and hoping that that playoff experience did something. 
right? We we kept saying last year, and it's at the end of last season, and maybe it was a silver lining. Maybe it was us trying to comfort ourselves that maybe this is what this team needed. They needed to get punched in the mouth by the, the, the Knicks and eliminated in the first round to truly reach their potential in the next season. And I'm thinking that Kobe Altman is hoping that that's exactly what happened. I think they're going to go into next year with most, most of the same roster that we see now. Talking with John Doss here in the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at John Doss. It's J-O-N Doss on Twitter. Um, don't you dare do that. Do what? You don't want people to follow you. Don't follow me on Twitter. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> I mostly was just trying to spell it so they knew that your name was J-O-N instead of J-O-H-N. It's a big... No, it's a big talking point in our newsroom that even at the age of 36, I am the old curmudgeon when it comes to social media. Yeah, I know that about you. You, you, I was going to say you're not dabbling in TikTok yet, huh? Uh, No, but I did see a great meme yesterday that said, I don't watch TikTok videos. I wait two weeks and watch them old on Instagram, (laughs) which is honestly, it's exactly what I do. I feel like that is what happens, though. They get repurposed on Instagram like a couple weeks later. That's 100% right. Um, I, let, let's pivot to the Browns here for a second. I I was kind of trying to do the math on – because I, I, I think there's some distinct division winners here that I don't, I don't even know if I'm putting the Browns in that category. You're talking like the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals are the teams that are sort of uh, the, 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 the creme de la creme. And then I think the, the Browns are in this group. It's an interesting group of – six other teams that are all going to be kind of be going for the wild card spot. So it's them, it's the Chargers, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Steelers. I, I, I'm trying to sort of figure out where they fit in, in that hierarchy and where they maybe stand with some of those teams. In, in particular, I guess, within the division, I, I'm curious your thoughts on the outlook for the AFC North in particular because every year we say it's the year finally that they get over the Steelers hump and then the Steelers finish above them. Uh, and I'm interested with the Ravens because I actually think if there's a team in this division that takes a step back, it's it's the Ravens with the new offensive coordinator trying some different things with Lamar Jackson. What say you on the outlook for the AFC North? You don't believe in the Ravens uh, paying an old wide receiver with no knees $15 million? <laughs> well, yeah, that's part of it, too. I think, that, I think your struggle is is the struggle for the rest of us. I don't think I've ever remember a time where a conference was as strong as the AFC is for one. Yeah. And even if you look at this division, you say, well, obviously it's the strongest division of football. I don't know that that's true either, right? You look at the AFC East, and, and that's an incredible division. And um, I think you're right. We're all struggling to figure out exactly where the Browns shake down on paper. I mean, what, we've been saying this the last three or four years. On paper, there is talented is any team in football. I like the additions that they've made. I, I think I like the new additions that they have made this offseason more than I have liked most of them under Andrew Barry and even dating back to Dorsey. Uh, but you know as well as I know, everything hinges on one player. Yeah. If Deshaun Watson is an MVP caliber quarterback like we saw, <laughs> I mean, we almost can't even remember it, right? It was so long ago. If he's that type of player... The Browns have the opportunity not just to win the division, but to challenge in the AFC because they are that talented if he's that good of a player. If he's not, if we see something in between that and and what we saw last year, maybe they can contend, but he has to be better than the six-game sample size we saw last year, or they're going to be at the bottom of the division looking up again. You doing anything at the Greenbrier for your training camp coverage this year? I am not. We are sending Cameron Justice. will be there for a few days. 
Uh, I've gone back and forth on this, by the way, and I'm curious your take. You know, they released the, the open practice dates in Berea uh, yesterday, I think, and it's eight, and it's gone down steadily yeah, yeah. every year. And we I talked think about that, that sucks for fans. I think that obviously Browns fans would like to be at as many practices as they can. That said, when I got to Cleveland, it was weird to me that training camp was here, was at the practice facility in Berea. You know, I was used yeah. to covering Bill's training camps at St. John Fisher, and I covered a couple of Raiders training camps in Napa. And it seemed like that was kind of the purpose of camp, was get the guys out of the city, get them away from home, get them in bunks. And it's kind of a, a bonding experience as much as it is a learning experience. And in that sense, I hope that that helps this team. Right, I think chemistry is something that maybe they've struggled with over the last few years, and I'm hopeful that getting them away, getting them somewhere else, gives them that opportunity. Yeah, you bring up the less uh, open practices. I think I kind of related that to our, our our time when we were both covering the Bills because there was the talk every year of whether or not they were going to go back to St. John Fisher College or not. I, I just think this is kind of par for the course. It's just going to get less and less every year. There might be like a ticketed one that you, you the money goes to charity. I've heard some teams do that for like one practice a year. I don't know. But uh, it, did, you mentioned like the chemistry thing. Do we buy into that too much, though? Like, does it actually help with, like, team bonding, or is that just kind of overblown and we like the the idea of that and we think it's all sort of cutesy before the season starts, but maybe it doesn't really do a, have the effect that we think? Well, we know that everybody who wins has chemistry, right? But is it the chicken or the egg? Does winning help chemistry more, or do you win because you have great chemistry? I, I or do you win because you took a trip to the Greenbrier, basically? <laughs> exactly. Well, it depends on how much <laughs> golf you get to play. I do think it's a... It's a fairy tale to think that there's going to be chemistry between 53 grown men in a locker room. Yeah. 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 I'm not like, I'm not overthinking that. Okay. I do think it's important to have outspoken leadership. And this is something that we talk about every year. There's not a ton of outspoken leadership on this team. Nick Chubb leads by example. Miles Garrett leads by example. Denzel Ward leads by example. They haven't had a ton of outspoken guys to lead the locker room. And when you start losing, I think that hurts you. And I'm hopeful that some of the guys they brought in, Cam Justice again, did a story last week on this back and forth between Juan Thornhill and Marquise Goodwin at practice and how they're jawing at each other and how it's a great energy. And and again, it's summer. They haven't played any games yet. But I think stuff like that is helpful. Give me veterans that talk. Give me veterans that can motivate as well as lead by example. He's John Doss, sports director, News Channel 5, WEWS. I'll, I'll leave his Twitter handle a mystery. If you want to find him, you're going to find it yourself. <laughs> Appreciate you, John, as always, my friend. All right, Spence. Talk to you soon, buddy. No doubt. Take it easy. Good stuff from John Doss. Let's take a quick break. We'll get you an update on the Guardians game. They're on the board. At least they're on the board. We got the fan focus on the other side. Keep it locked. It's Spencer German here on the fan.